What a great thought. I will sing forever of my great king. If you have your Bibles, turn, if you would, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And may that be the, uh, the words off our lips is that we will forever sing of our great king. I mean, after all, that's why he's redeemed us. He's given us life everlasting so that we can tell others about him. And boy, man, when you put those kinds of things to music, uh, what a beautiful harmony that it does bring. As you can see from the, the front of the auditorium this morning, to, uh, today is Communion Sunday. Communion Sunday is always a special time here at Trinity Baptist Church. And uh, I trust that uh, each time that we celebrate the, the Lord's table that uh, you appreciate its meaning and, and all that uh, has been done for us as a result of what Christ has done there at Calvary. Unfortunately, though, for some, the communion service comes rather redundant and routine. I remember as a child um, coming to the church service and walking in the back of the auditorium, even as a teenager, unfortunately, and seeing these uh, elements set up here at the front and thinking, oh, no, here we go again. Another long service. And, uh, you know, that, that's not the perspective and attitude, obviously, that we should have. There should be a time of uh, remembrance and rejoicing for what the Lord Jesus Christ has done and afforded us because of what he's done for us there at Calvary. And so this morning I want to bring a, a message. I don't want the uh, communion service to be an addendum to uh, regular service. I want to be a part of our service this morning. And so we're going to look at this passage of scripture. And uh, this morning it's my desire. And I just look back because we will look back here at, at why we uh, remember the Lord's table. Why we're charged and, and, and commanded to uh, uh, keep this uh, time set aside of remembrance, but also from a practical perspective. How, how, how should it affect me? How should it change me? What should I do as a result of today? So many times we look back and we look at the Bible and that's where we ought to, and then we need to look back and remember those things. But sometimes we miss why it's there. Why, why are we to do this thing and, and how important it is? You know, the Bible here says that it, we're to do this in remembrance of Jesus Christ, in remembrance of what he's done. There's a lot of memorials that have been set up throughout our country. And why are those memorials set up? So that we can remember what took place. What was significant about it and the sacrifice many times that was made there. And much like those special, those special memorials that will plan our family vacations around and go and see and hire tour guides and all that so we can get the history and understanding of it. God has established for the believer a memorial that we can come and celebrate and commemorate as often as we do it. And so let's look in the passage of scripture here in first Corinthians chapter 11. And you can go to Matthew and you can go to Mark and some of these other gospels where the account of the last supper was, is given and the events that transpired there, um, because all of those lead up to where we are today. And I hope the Bible never becomes a, a boring book to you. I, I trust that you, as you read it, as you study it, that you'll be inspired by it, that you'll be encouraged to live a life to the glory, praise, and honor of his name. Because after all, that's the kind of life that he came to provide for those that will place their faith and trust in him. He came to give you a life abundant, life eternal. That's why he says in John 10, 10, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. He wants us to superabound. He wants us to enjoy this life. And today, uh, this uh, memorial of, of, uh, of the communion service is one of those opportunities that we can come and rejoice over what he's provided for us and given to us, as well as celebrate 
the recognition of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so today, from a, a personal and practical perspective, I want to look at four thoughts today. First of all, here in our reading, notice beginning reading verse number 23, the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Corinth. And, and the church at Corinth is not necessarily, as far as at least here in 1 Corinthians, is um, a church that you want to model. There are a lot, of, a lot of problems, a lot of struggles, a lot of challenges that Paul had to address in correcting this church from the area of the way. And, uh, and so we see that he's now uh, dealt with many issues. I heard a series, actually, my son Tyler there at Gospel Light Baptist Church in uh, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. He preached through the book of 1 Corinthians, and the title of the series was uh, Church Done Wrong. If you want to learn how to do church the wrong way, read 1 Corinthians because that, it'll tell you how to do it the wrong way. And Paul, throughout this book, is, is constantly trying to correct them. But now he's trying to establish this aspect of, of coming together, the church coming together in harmony and unity uh, around the Lord's table. He says, verse 23, beginning verse 23, he says, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also, he took a cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat of this bread and drink of this cup unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. Let's pray. Father, again, we're thankful and grateful for the time that we can gather ourselves around the word of God. Lord, I rejoice any time that the, the body of, of Christ can come together, the church, and just enjoy the time of, uh, of teaching, of instruction, as well as the time of singing and, and fellowship one with the other. What a special time it is, uh, this first day of the week. Lord, I ask and pray that as we have now have opened your word and, and read your scriptures and have made mention of the focus of our attention today. Lord, we just don't want to look at it uh, just kind of with a numb mind because we've heard it so many times. But Lord, may we open our minds to be re receptive to the truth that you have for us in a practical way that will have a greater appreciation today for when we walk away, now for being able to gather around this Lord's table and celebrate uh, the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you've done and what you're striving to do in each and every one of our lives. So we ask that by your spirit and through your word today, as it goes forth, that will speak to hearts. And Lord, that, that our minds, our attitudes, our spirits will be different to be more like you. We just thank you for these things that you bestow and blessings you give in your precious name. Amen. So this morning, we want to consider four thoughts or, uh, as we look at this uh, thought of this passage of Scripture. First of, all, first of all, we want to look at the historical significance, why it's so significant that we come to the Lord's table today. Secondly, we want to look at the internal assessment, the internal assessment that is our part to, to do. And that's the personal practical side, as well as the external fellowship. You know, we have fellowship here today as we remember uh, uh, this uh, Lord's table. And then thirdly, the eternal purpose. That there's a purpose that God has for us, not just in remembering this, but as we go from this place, he has an eternal purpose. First of all, let's look at the historical significance. Uh, 
It's a look back. He wants us to look back at a time when when Christ sat with his disciples on that Passover evening. It was really the last time that they would celebrate or remember the Passover feast. And Christ has sent his disciple, a couple of his disciples ahead to find to, to a particular room, an upper room, as it's called, to set and make ready for that last dinner that he would have with his disciples here on this earth. And so they, in obedience, they went, and my wife and I, a few years back, had the opportunity, as a result of the gifts of this church, to go to Israel. And there's a place there in Israel that they believe possibly could be. They don't know for a fact or for sure, but that is the upper room. But it's, it is a large room, and that's what uh, the scriptures tell us, that it's a large room. It is an upper room. And uh, you can envision, as you walk into this large upper room, uh, all of the uh, the things that might have been there uh, on that fir- uh, that first uh, uh, Passover meal that Christ did with his disciples there, the last one. And so we want to look, uh, first of all, at the significance as far as a look back. We want to remember something. And, and it's not a suggestion that we remember. It's a command that we remember. We notice there in verses 23 and 24, it says, I received of the Lord. Paul received this message, the instruction here by the Lord. And he's delivering it now to these disciples because they were given the responsibility to pass this on. It says that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. Historical fact he wants us to remember. After the same manner also, he took the cup when he had supped, saying, this cup is the New Testament of my blood. This do as oft as ye drink it. In remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death until he come. And so we see, first of all, it's a remembrance of what Christ has done. His sacrifice that he made for you and for me. Turn, if you would, please, over to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. We want to look here at the historical significance of this. And we find the significance just in this one passage of Scripture. We could go to many passages, but we'll just use this one passage today. As we look at the historical significance, looking back to what we are to remember and why it's so important. And so, first of all, we want to see what was done, the sacrifice that was made. Look with me uh, here in Romans chapter 5. I'll begin reading in verse number 1 and read down through verse number 11. Paul writing to the church at Rome and again encouraging them to stay by the stuff, stand true, stand strong in the midst of persecution and great uh, adversity that they were facing. He says, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we we glory in tribulation also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience and patience experience and experience hope and hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath to come. For if we, when we were enemies, were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more Being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. 
while those 11 verses pack a lot of things in there of the historical significance of this Lord's table and coming together. Things that uh, Christ in, uh, is, is wanting his disciples to remember and to know, and Paul is reminding this church of these things. First of all, we notice what was done, the sacrifice that was made. We see there in verses 5 and 6, we see that, um, uh, that Christ, uh, may, uh, excuse me, verses 6 and 8 rather. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. The sacrifice that was made, verse number 8, he says uh, that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. We need to realize that someone has given their life on our behalf. That ought to be special, that ought to be important, that ought to be something that we want to remember. It ought to never get old and, and stale in our lives. It ought not, never to bore us and say, oh, I've heard this over and over again. We ought to be eternally thankful and grateful as we consider one who has given of himself uh, and, and, and died the death that we deserved in order to give us the life that we don't deserve. Imagine if someone actually uh, laid down, humanly speaking, their life for you. They risk everything for you. Story is told of a, uh, an individual that was, uh, he was the provider, the lifter of a, a, a bridge that would go up and down, allowing the, the ships to pass through. And so he would, as the ships would come, they'd blow their horn and he would see them approaching. He'd hit the button and the bridge would, would go up. And then once it had, they passed, they'd go back down. And one day he had uh, taken his son. He'd done this for years and years, but had taken his son to, uh, with him to work, to watch the bridge go up and the ships to pass and so forth. And it was an exciting time. And the little boy was thrilled with the, uh, the big ships and the smaller boats and different things that came through that needed for which the bridge to be raised. And. And after a while, he uh, kind of wandered around outside and so forth like that. And, and the dad received the horn from a, a ship that was coming and saw that the, it, was, it was approaching. And, and he went to hit the button. And as he saw the, the ship uh, approaching, he looked down and saw his son playing around in that mechanism where the bridge would lift up. He didn't know what to do. It was too far away for him to be able to holler out the, out the door, out the window to, to warn his son of that. And. And the ship is approaching and people are out on the, the bow of the boat and they're waving to the ship guy and so forth. And they've got their cameras out and they're looking for this bridge and videos to go on up and so they can pass through. And that dad has a responsibility to lift that bridge, but his son's in, in, in the way. And he had a choice to make. And that day he chose to hit that button and raise that bridge and allow that, to, that, that, that boat to pass and uh, the loss of his own son. And. You say, well, how cruel, but yet that's exactly what Jesus Christ did for us. How cruel it was for him to die the death in our place so that he could give us a life uh, to, to live eternally with him. And so we see the sacrifice, that was, or the, what was done is, as far as the historical significance of the sacrifice that was made. But we also secondly see why it was done. It was done because of us. It was done because we, were, we, we had uh, of sin. Notice the, there in that passage of verse we didn't read. Verse number 12 says, wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. Christ died for sin. As we go to New York each and every year and, and minister in the streets, the parks, the projects, the subway system. And as we as we go out there, we tell them uh, as we're doing the various meetings and we mention the word sin. Oftentimes we say, does anybody know what sin is? Sin is anything that we think, say, or do that, that displeases God. It's missing the mark of God's standard for our life. And God has set a stand of, of perfection, of holiness, and we can't measure up to that standard. 
So therefore, what we had what had to happen was someone that measured up to that standard had to come and take our place. And of course, that was Jesus Christ. So what was done was the sacrifice of, 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 of God's son, Jesus Christ. But why was it done? Because of sin. Sin separates us from a holy God. God's perfect, pure and holy. And we are yet sinful. We're born that way. Nobody teaches us how to do those things. We naturally have a bent to live a life unto ourselves and pleasing our flesh. But in, in, uh, in the, uh, God taking on the, the form of human flesh and the person of Jesus Christ came into the world and died on the cross and made that sacrifice for our sins. So what was done? The sacrifice was made. Why was it done? Because of sin. We are sinners. For whom was it done? It was done for you and me. Verses five, uh, verse chapter five, verses uh, six and eight talk about the ungodly. That's us. Talks about sinners. That's us. And many times we don't see ourselves that way. We don't see ourselves as the ungodly. We don't see ourselves as the sinner. Or we might say, well, I am a sinner saved by grace. And the reality is, is, you know what, we, we've got to get beyond that phrase, sinner saved by grace, and start living as a saint. Start living as a saint of God. Stop making the excuse that I'm a sinner saved by grace and start living as a saint for the glory of God. But for whom was it done, this significant thing that we're remembering today was done for you and for me. Because we were yet without hope and we were yet without God lost in our sins. But the fourth thing that I want us to know is what the significance of what was done, not only who who uh, what was done, why was it done, for whom it was done, but, but fourthly, for the significance of what was done to bring salvation, to bring deliverance to you and me so that we we aren't under the condemnation of God. Notice chapter eight, verse number one, it says there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. If you're here today and you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you're that child of God, not because of who you are, but because of who Jesus Christ is and what he did on the cross. And you're responding to the gospel and receiving him for the forgiveness of your sins. The Bible says you're no longer under the condemnation of God who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. And so we see salvation has come to mankind. It's our responsibility now to respond to God's uh, provision of a wonderful salvation. Notice what we what the benefits are, the significance of what was done. Verse number one says therefore being justified by faith. We are justified. The word justified simply means just as if we'd never sinned. If you're here today and you're that child of God, you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. God looks at you through the blood of Jesus Christ and you are justified just as if you'd never sinned. Now, we know that's not true for any one of us, for we have fallen many, many a time. And yet as we 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 come to him in true repentance and faith and seeking his forgiveness, he sees us as justified. Secondly, we see that verse number one, not only we justified, says we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are finally have peace, but not just peace and the peace of God, but we have peace with God. We are no longer, as I read there in chapter eight, verse number one, we're no longer under condemnation. We're no longer under the wrath of God. Before we are now his sons, we are now his daughters because of what Christ has done. And so we're justified. We have peace with God. Notice verse number two. We now have something that we never had before. Not only salvation, not only justification, but notice verse number two and peace. But notice verse two, it says, by whom we all, by whom also we have access by faith to him. We have access to God. We have an avenue through which we can communicate to God. Obviously, God communicates to us through his word, communicates to us through the preaching and the teaching of the word of God, uh, communicates to us through gospel literature and various things 
uh, that are produced and so forth like that. But we communicate to God. We have direct access through the avenue of prayer, through open conversation that we have with him. Until, until Christ came, until salvation was brought, God spoke through individuals and those individuals communicated God's message to them. But now as believers, we have direct access to God. I don't need to go to uh, my preacher. I don't have to go to another person. I can go directly to God because I'm now his child. You know, my kids are growing up and they needed something or wanted something or uh, th- that kind of matter. You know, I would go to my, I, they would come to me and say, Dad, you know, the school, uh, you know, basketball team's getting new, new basketball shoes and they're getting a team shoe and we need so much money for that team shoe. And uh, I remember in the day that I was growing up, it was simple because you just bought Red Ball Jets. I mean, remember the Red, red Ball Jets. A little red dot on the back. Everybody wants the Nike swoosh or the different logos that are out there. The Adidas three stripes. For me, when I was growing up as a kid, all I wanted was that little, little, little red dot on the back of my shoe. A little rubber dot that was glued on there. So it made it was Red Ball Jets. But the reality was, is, is we have access, direct access. And so as my children would come and ask for different things, if, as, I, as it was needful, I would provide it. If it wasn't necessarily that they needed it at that time, I determined whether I would give that to them or not. But they had access to me. And folks, we have direct access to God. And so many times we run everywhere else but to God. And we need to understand that he lovingly has provided that access for us because he longs for us to come to him. In our sinful condition, we don't have that access until we come to true repentance and faith and and seek him for the forgiveness of our sins. But we have access to God. We notice also in verse number two, it says uh, into this grace wherein we stand, we receive the grace of God. God's riches at Christ's expense. He's been so gracious in giving to us that which we don't deserve over and over and over again. He blesses us as we as we live for him, as we serve him. But you know what? Sometimes he even provides things for us when we're not walking in the way that we ought to walk. To show us, hey, I'm still here. I still love you. I'm still caring for you. I'm still providing for you. Yes, he does bring correction into our path as well, as long as you know, if we continue on down that path. But he's always ever so gracious and loving and kind to us. And really, that's uh, what, what Paul's trying to present here is, hey, you know who Jesus Christ is. It wasn't too long ago that he was present with us. And you saw him and you witnessed him. And maybe you experienced a miracle or someone in your family did. You know the grace of God. And so we we have uh, received the grace of God. Notice also there in verse number two, it says, and rejoice in hope of glory of God. We now have hope. We now have hope. Every Friday night at our uh, RU Recovery, people come into the meetings, some of them having no hope. They're lost. They're, they're, They're just in a bad spot and they're in a bad way. They've been to this program and this facility and, this treatment center and so forth like that. And they've come away still in the same condition as they went into those places. And they're not, they have no hope as they come into RU recovery. We try to assure them and say, Hey, there is hope. The hope isn't in us. The hope isn't in the program. The hope is in the person of Jesus Christ. And so we now have hope. It's a blessed and assured hope. It's a confident hope. It's not a hope. So kind of, I hope it goes my way. No, it's an, a confident hope, a steadfast, uh, and assure hope. We also see in, um, in verse number three, it says that we can glory in tribulation. I don't know about you. Uh, I, I don't often see a lot of glory in tribulation. Shame on me. 
Actually, actually, the reality is, is it's an opportunity for us to grow in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's an opportunity for us to see God work on our behalf as we go through those times of trial and tribulation. They're not fun, they're not enjoyable, and they're not easy. They bring many times heartache uh, and burden in our lives. What in the world is, is, is this for? Why? You know, and we ask all kinds of questions, but we have to come to the realization that, that we can glory in God because he sees something in us that he's striving to do. He's trying to pull out all those impurities, all those things that are keeping us back from all that God has for us. So as we, it says here in, in verse number three that uh, we can glory in tribulation. It says in tribulation, work with patience. Boy, who doesn't need that? We do. We do. And uh, it says in patience, experience and experience hope and hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God. That's the next one is shed abroad in our hearts. We now have the love of God. Because the spirit of God is dwelling within us and he's trying to instill in us those character qualities of love. We can love as we've never loved before. We can have joy like we've never experienced before. We can finally have peace, not the pe just the peace of God, as I mentioned earlier, but peace with God. Long suffering. We can endure long, suffer long with others as God has suffered long with us. And uh, uh, we have the, the, the goodness, the gentleness, the goodness, the faith, the meekness, the temperance. We have all of those qualities that we never had before, but now we can have them because of the love of God being shed abroad in our hearts. We also see that we have the Holy Ghost that's been given unto us. You know, as I so oftentimes have said, you know, God, when he saved you, just didn't give you a godly spirit. He gave you the Holy Spirit of God, the very spirit of God that dwelt in Christ when he when he performed those miracles. And as we see at his baptism. Uh, God saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. The Holy Spirit descending upon like a dove, lighting upon him and enable him. As we see the spirit of God throughout the New Testament, working in the lives of people, the power of God uh, providing deliverance so many times in difficult situations. But we see that uh, God is doing a great work. The love of God, the Holy Ghost uh, is given unto us. We also see in verse number six, it says, for when we were without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. He's given us a, a spiritual strength and endurance as well. We see also that we're saved, verse number nine, from the wrath to come, from the wrath to come. Of course, that's the coming judgment, ultimate judgment of God upon sin, all of uh, the totality of sin altogether. And so we see that we've been delivered. And that's why it's significant that as we come to the, this table, that we ought to remember these things that are here, that we're justified. We have peace with God. We have access to God. We receive grace. We now have hope. We can glory in, in the difficult times of our life. We can grow in him. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. We have the presence of the spirit of God dwelling within. We have strength that we didn't have. Uh, we've been saved from the wrath to come. And we have joy, joy unspeakable and full of glory. And so we see the historical significance and look back to remember. That's why we come to this table, because God has done so much on our behalf. We see secondly here in verse number 28, it says, but let a man examine himself. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. We see there's the internal assessment. The internal assessment, a look within, and sometimes this is the hardest one. We don't like this one because this one's pretty ugly. Because nobody knows us like we know ourselves. We know the struggles. We know the difficulties. We know the hardships. And we know the things that are going through our, you know, through our, our, our life. More importantly, the things that we struggle with in our mind. You know, for the believer, the, the battle is no longer for the soul, but the battle is for the mind. Because the devil knows that if he can control your mind and your thoughts, he can control your emotions and your being. 
He can lead you to do things that you never thought you'd ever do. He can, he can lead you to go to places that you never thought that you'd go. He can lead you to hang around people that you never envisioned hanging around. So we see that we need to look within here. First of all, that assessment has to be an honest assessment. You have to look at yourself in an honest, from God's perspective. What in my life has hindered me from that fellowship with God? And we see that's why Paul says here, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, so let, uh, but let every man examine himself. It doesn't say let somebody else examine and see what they see, because they can't see what you see. And so this is a personal time. This is a private time. This is a God and I time between you and God, between God and myself, that I come before him. And, you know, there's things that I know that are there. So I, I bring those things to God and say, God, forgive me for this, for the wrong thought, the wrong words, the wrong actions, the wrong attitudes, whatever it may be. Please forgive, help me. Help me, Lord, today. Help me to stay on track. Help me to be mindful of these truths. Help me to walk in the spirit as, as, as you would have me to walk. But we also see here that um, uh, we, we not only have to be honest, uh, uh, but we're also to be humble. As far as honest, the Bible says in Psalm 26 to examine me, O Lord. And that's exactly what we need to say, examine me. But, but the humble ask, assessment, the, the verse goes on, says, prove me, prove me. Lord, you know, examine me, see what's there and help me root out that which, which is there that ought not to be there. But now, Lord, you know, I humbly come and submit myself to your authority. I, I place myself under your guidance and your direction for my life. And so there has to be a humble assess assessment where I, I ask God to prove me and to give me that opportunity to show him that I, I want to live for him and that I want to love him. But then there's also that holy assessment, not only honest and humble, but also a holy assessment. And David says in Psalm 139, 23 and 24, search me, O God, and know my heart and try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. He, God, David here is saying, remove anything that's in the way between me and you. Help me to live a life that would, would magnify and exalt and honor you. Over in First Peter, uh, Peter writing to the believers, challenging them to be holy because God is holy. And we need to live a life of holiness. And so we see the historical significance. We've looked back at why this is even here. We've looked now internally. We have to do that in order to come to this table. Because the Bible says in verse 28, um, uh, but let a man examine himself, so let him eat. Goes, um, I'm trying to find the verse. Uh, he that eateth and drinketh. Yeah, verse 27. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat of this bread and drink of this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. You know, uh, Paul writing on the inspiration of God doesn't want people to come carelessly to this, this Lord's table here. Of course, he's addressing this matter because the communion time, this, this remembering this time had become a, uh, just a debauchery, a feast, and so forth like that, and was just kind of tacked on to the end of their service and, and their feasting time. And it was, you know, people were coming, and they were at work. Some of them were even drunk as they approached this table, this this sacred time. And so um, Paul's saying, hey, don't come unworthily. Don't come with bound by your sin. Make that right with God and, and, and honestly assess yourself and asking God to examine you, to humble yourself to, as you come before him and and strive to live a, a holy life under the Lord. You know, there's none of us that can live a perfect life, but we can strive for the life of holiness as we live our daily life. And so we see there needs to be a, a historical significance. There's the internal assessment, but thirdly, there's the external fellowship. And this is one of the one of the great joys and glory of coming to this table is the external fellowship. We look around. 
to those that, that, that are of our fellowship that are here, that we can we can glory with them in what God has done and that we can uh, and, and, and come together in, in true unity and fellowship. We see here, first of all, that we are united in fellowship together. Romans uh, 12 verse five says, so we being many are one. There's many of us here to, together today, but we've come for one main purpose, and that's to worship the Lord. Worship our Savior, the one that's given so much so that, that we could live uh, and have that, that eternal life. But we also see that uh, not only uh, 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 united together, but also we come, we come together in unity and harmony. Psalm 133, verse number one says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell together in unity. And boy, there's not an important, more important time for us to come together in unity, not a more important time for the world to see the unity of the believers here within Trinity Baptist Church than it is today. And, uh, and we see that it says it's good and it's pleasant. We ought to enjoy the fellowship. We all look forward to the Sunday mornings when they come and arriving in the parking lot and greeting people in the parking lot and in the vestibule and getting to our classes, uh, Bible classes in, in the morning, coming to fellowship as we lift our voice in, in adoration and praise to our great God. We ought to be able to enjoy that time together in fellowship and in harmony, coming together as one in Christ. And how important of a time that that is, that external praise. You know what? I need you. I need you more than ever. I need you every day. I need your prayers. I need your encouragement. I need your help. But you know what? We need one another's help. We need one another's prayer. We need one another's encouragement. When you're down, that someone's there to pick you up and, 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 and realize that we have that responsibility to, to bear the burdens of one another, the concerns. You know, all too often we get, we can get stuck living our own lives in our own little world and we're not looking around at, at what's taking place and, and who our life might touch and can help. And so we need to, that's the kind of individual that we need to be. And, and we see that, that, uh, that, that external part of it. It says, um, he goes on, he talks about that, uh, for, I've delivered, for I received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you. Speaking of the body, he's delivered unto us so that we can enjoy the fellowship and the, and the harmony and the time together. And then lastly, here we see the eternal purpose, not only the historical significance and not only the internal assessment, not only the external fellowship, but also we see the eternal purpose. Verse number 26, it says that we're to do this till he come. Let's look into the future. It's looking to what's ahead. We know that he's coming. Um, um, he's coming soon. There's no doubt. We're going to we're going to go to glory someday and we need to be prepared uh, for that eternal purpose. Uh, we see that in verse 26. And what is our eternal purpose? Well, presently, it's to testify of what Christ has done or to testify of what Christ has done. His purpose in redeeming us was to take the good news of the gospel and go into all the world and share the gospel with the great and wondrous gift of salvation, the forgiveness of our sins that we've received and the eternal life that we have. We, we ought to be willing and desiring to share that with others, to testify of the glories of our God. So many times, you know, we, God provides opportunities for us. And I've said before, you know, we have those God moments where we weren't expecting it and we weren't looking for it. But yet God put it right smack dab in front of us. And uh, we need to use those opportunities as opportunities to testify of the goodness, the grace and the mercy of God. We also see that uh, not only to testify of what God has done, but what God is doing, what God is doing in our midst. 
God's been doing some wonderful things in our midst of late. And we rejoice in what he has been done and what he's continuing to do and leading us forward in, as we seek him. I don't know about you, but it's, it's, it's elevated my prayer life. It's elevated my devotional life and, 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 and my walk with him and being more conscious and aware, not just of his presence uh, around me, but his presence with me. And uh, it's, it's to testify of what God's doing. He is a great God. He is a gracious God. God, and he is doing some amazing things. And I trust that on a daily basis that we'll be mindful of these things so that as we come to this communion table in a practical way, in a spiritual way, that we'll, we'll realize that as we celebrate many things throughout the year and, and, and go to various memorials that our nation has set up, that as we come to here that we'll have a similar view, a similar regard, a similar respect for what Christ has done. And that we'll ever thank him and praise him for who he is and for what he's given to us the privilege and opportunity to even come to this table as we, we do and uh, to remember all that he's done and all that he's given. And so we see the historical significance. We see there needs to be an internal assessment, and I pray that we would look at that today. And that uh, there is something between you and your Savior, that as we come to this table, that you would approach him, the throne of grace, and find mercy to help in time of need, that you would confess that unto him, and that you'd be restored back into fellowship with him, And then, of course, the external fellowship that as we join together in this, that our hearts will be full of joy and rejoicing because of what he's done, that we can gather as a body of believers in true fellowship and harmony. But, but above all, that there's an eternal purpose for which he's done it so that we can praise him for what he's done, for what he's doing. And yet looking forward to that day that we will someday be with him for all of eternity. And so I trust that today as we come to this table in a special way, in a spiritual way, that we would seek to remember and that we'd strive to live for him. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful and grateful for your word. Thank you for the instruction that we can receive from it. Thank you for what you've given. Lord, we don't deserve any of it. And yet so, my, so many times we're mindless as we come to this table. It's just something that we do. It seems to be uh, most every month nearly. And, and we just go through the routine and, and take the elements. And we go out really no differently than when we came in. No, no more grateful than any other time in our life. Lord, I pray that that would not be our view today. Lord, that we wouldn't, re we wouldn't see this time as just routine and mundane. Lord, that we would truly have a greater, greater appreciation for who you are and for what you did for us. Lord, what you even are desiring to do in a greater way in our lives today. Lord, help us to just to learn to love you as we ought to love you and show that appreciation and gratitude for the sacrifice that you made for us. Lord, if there's one here today that's outside of Jesus Christ, they don't know you. They're not that child of Christ. They're not a part of the body of Christ. They're not part of the fellowship of the believers Help them to realize that that first step is becoming that child of God. And that just requires just confessing their sins and calling upon you to forgive them of their sins and turning from their sinful ways and true repentance and faith to Jesus Christ. So the Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If they'll place their trust and confidence in you, they can become that child of God today. Lord, for the child of God, I pray that we would, uh, again, have a greater appreciation for this time together. As we fellowship and harmony and Lord, that we might glory and rejoice in all that you've done. We carefully praise you and thank you for it in your precious name. Amen. I'll ask the deacons to come at this time.